Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Thank you so much for coming. Um, we are beyond happy to have you. Let me tell you a little bit about Liberty and, and what it is and what we're doing here and what we want from you. Um, there's no money involved. Um, so basically, Liberty was created um, to do two things, to celebrate and um, support the women who are entrepreneurs in our city, in our country. And then we also want to inspire and equip those who want to be entrepreneurs. And the way we do that is by telling stories. So you can listen to our podcast, Liberty Sessions, on iTunes. You can come to our live events and listen to these lovely ladies, which you'll get to do in just a, a quick minute when I stop yammering. Or you can go to our website, uh, libertyforher.com, and you can shop in our little fun shopping space that has, at this point, like fun things for your office, but soon we'll have things that are more resources, like apps, books, things you can use on your business, for your business, in your business. So I'm going to let our panel introduce themselves. Oh. Yes. And Tamara, why don't you start? Hello. Hello. Am I on? Yes. Um, I'm Tamara K. Honey. I am the creative director and principal of an interior design firm called House of Honey. Um, we have studios here in 
actually South Pasadena and Montecito. Shall I say more about myself? What um, th- that's good. Okay. And then I'll come back and ask <laughs> you more specific questions. Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica Cummingor, and I run a boutique graphic design studio specializing in branding for lifestyle brands. And on the side, I have a lifestyle website um, sharing a little bit of everything from travel to recipes to design, um, sometimes some fashion. Across the board, yeah. I am Jillian Lauren, and I am an author. I've written three books. I've actually written four books, but one of them is really bad, and still, <laughs> it's still in my drawer. Um, and uh, uh, I'm a blogger. I'm an award-winning blogger and a journalist. Yeah. So um, thank you guys for that. I want you to just tell us, because there's a lot of people in this room who are either currently doing something that they don't want to do or they're trying to figure out what's next for them. Can you tell us about what you did before your respective now jobs and how you transitioned to what you're doing now? First, I just want to say how cute this place is. As an interior designer, it's very well done. Yeah, okay. First time here and I love it. I do not have a background in interior design. Not formally trained. Um, I grew up in Canada. My mom flipped houses. My aunt had an interior design firm herself, but I kind of hid from that world. Um, I went to FIT in New York and did fashion, thought that's what I wanted to do. Got a job as a buyer at Brookdorf Goodman, which for me was like the end-all, be-all. Um, got into it, and it was not nearly as sexy as I thought it would be. It was very analytical, very much about your margins, and um, other than the fashion shows once or twice a year, it was sitting at your desk kind of grinding numbers. Um, so I quit, which was a big deal because I was on a visa as a Canadian. And then I sort of just freelance illegally for a little bit. Worked for my husband's <laughs> dot-com company in New York. It was during the dot-com days. Um, and then 9-11 happened. I was pregnant. My husband had an opportunity to come to L.A. and started um, graphics company. So we came out. And then I bought a little mid-century fixer and fixed it up. And then people said, who did this? I was like, I did. I can do it. So it just sort of naturally progressed from there. And then opened House of Honey about seven years ago. So it just happened. was not planned. Awesome. Um, my background is in interior design. I went oh. to school. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. <laughs> um, I went to school downtown at Fidham and studied interior design and decorative arts um, and started working at an architecture firm on the west side out of uh, college and was young and um, kind of pigeonholed to the computer. So I was sitting behind the screen all day long and uh, didn't really have a creative outlet. So at the end of the night, I would come home and blog pretty obsessively. So started to grow an audience on there and just found that I enjoyed being behind the computer more than doing interior design. It still plays a large role, I think, in the work that I do and still informs a lot of the work I do. But um, knew deep down I wanted to make a leap and very prematurely did it uh, six years ago. So, yeah, took a chance and it's been a roller coaster. But uh, I feel like I'm just getting my at a good place six years down the line. It's, I mean, I'm just going to brag for her because she won't brag. But her clients are like Nordstrom and West Elm. And so it's not like she's when she says I'm like finally finding my way. She found her way. She, she's more than found her way. Jillian. Uh, so I uh, am the suckiest interior designer you've ever met. Like, my great goal is to just not have, you know, 400 toy airplanes uh, on my kitchen counter at any given time. 
So I hope to befriend you both <laughs> and take advantage of your expertise. Um, I, I am an author, um, but what I love that I've heard from both of you is about just starting. Um, just starting when you don't feel qualified and you don't feel um, like you have all the you know, degrees or anything that you need because, like, that is what I believe about writing. And writing is what I do. And writing is what I've always done. I've written since I was eight years old. But, you know, it took me, uh, I don't know, maybe a book and a half before I would even call myself a writer when I met people. So, um, basically, um, I uh, was, like, kind of a... Slut. <laughs> I, I really was. Can you qualify that really quickly in I case know, not everybody knows but like, the book? In a, in a fairly high profile way. <laughs> you were a paid professional. Um, so I was sort of like, you know, I don't know. I like to call it like a quasi prostitute. Um, in terms of I, you know, I had this boyfriend when I was barely 18 years old who was the Prince of Brunei, which is a, <laughs> which was at that time the wealthiest country in the world. And uh, it's a small country in Southeast Asia on the island of Borneo. And I lived there with um, a lot of other women that also were his girlfriends. So uh, I wrote a book about that <laughs> 18 years later. But that's not girl. your advice. To, <laughs> you're not saying, go, don't do just that. To clarify, right. Yeah. Don't yeah. do that. If someone calls you and says, would you like to go to Southeast Asia for a couple of weeks? And make a whole lot of money to attend these parties for a prince? Say no. Say no. Um, but anyway, I said yes. <laughs> and due to my poor boundaries and, I don't know, whatever, just due to my poor boundaries. <laughs> and, and actually, you can hear, um, we did a full <laughs> podcast together, and you guys yeah. can hear the whole story. It's, 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 you're funny. You're funny. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, what, whatever your story is, right, and whatever it is you want to do, like, it's your story. And be fearless, I think, is yeah. Yeah. the story of that. Just don't worry. And, and I want to qualify something. I had, she's right there, actually. Raise your hand, Claire. I had another, you. <laughs> another girl who was in a harem? No, no. but another <laughs> author. <laughs> That's her daughter, so um, if she was, she's not going to admit to it. No, but I had another author at a panel last night, and I just want to say something about authors, and, and Jillian and I touched on it, um, and so did Claire and I in the respective podcasts. Often people don't realize, as a writer, that they, are, they need to be entrepreneurial. You need to develop a platform of people who want to hear your harem story, or in Claire's case, a story about narcolepsy and their family. So you need to develop that platform. And in order to do so, you sort of have to take on the role of an entrepreneur. You have to start thinking like that person. How am I going to market to the people that want to hear this story? Now, they have two different stories in that Claire self-published and Jillian went the traditional route and found a publisher. But I, I will just say that... Um, 
Jillian kind of won in the crazy story um, publisher. I mean, in terms of just having something that a publisher was like, you did what? So that, that's, a, that's a different story. And you, you, I mean, we've talked about this. That's not always the case. And right. more often than not, publishers are looking for people who already have a following, who already have a platform, who've already developed a voice. And so that's something that, um, that, that's a distinction between them. But in both cases, it takes thinking like an entrepreneur. It takes thinking like a business person to, dis, to establish that and to distinguish yourself from the other millions of people out there who want to be authors and who want to write, especially now with blogs and so many people who I think do call themselves writers or authors, you know, without having anything published, actually. Um, well, I think if that if you write, you're a writer. Okay, well, we'll get into that in, in yeah. a second. Um, so <clears throat> all of you at some point, and you've sort of described that you made, and you didn't actually talk about, so it, you didn't go from harem to, to writing. You've been writing since you were eight. You spent some time as a hair, do you call it stylist? Dresser? What do you call it? <laughs> doing oh, hair. <laughs> I did hair. I was so bad. I was really, really bad at doing hair. My husband, actually, when I met him, was like, can I support you to go to graduate school to be a writer, which you really dream of? And I really actually think it was because he wanted to go back to his old hairdresser because I fucked up. Can I, yeah. I can't. Okay. I screwed up his hair for... For yeah. a good I mean, long really, time. no, yeah. maybe like a few months okay. before he was like, "Hey, why don't you go to graduate school?" <laughs> it's a, it's okay. It all worked out for yeah, him. It it did. My, my husband out. did a similar. Yeah, but thing. I did. I did. I was not with hair. But no, what, I would tell, what did Ryan do? I, what did you do? I always was buying furniture, and there was nowhere to uh. put it. He's like, "Well, why don't you open a shop?" Yeah, exactly. and I was like, "Great!" So I can do design and have a shop. Perfect. So that's really how that started. Okay, and I was just yeah, going to get an into attic that. full of crap. He called it, <laughs> and that and and did you at that point when he said that? Because so, my next yeah. qu- next question is, why did you become an entrepreneur? Was it were you looking for financial freedom? Were you yeah, trying to store really furniture? Good at what for was anyone? the? Okay, it was just it wasn't my thing, um, and I think it was that sort of. Maybe it was at Bergdorf Goodman and doing window design. And I've always sort of fantasized about the retail and the design. So a way to kind of create a studio and do both is where the brick and mortar idea came. Um, Up until then, I just worked from the house with assistants. And it was a big step. And then it gave me more of a presence, I think, and more of a legitimacy for my potential clients. And then the clients kind of grew as that. I was going to ask you that question. So yeah. many interior designers wouldn't ne- naturally think, I need a physical no, brick and, and mortar. No, it was a weird time because when I really started interior design, it was very much everyone was an interior designer. Do it themse- I, And I'm not being rude at all. I think everyone has a great eye and that's perfect. But I needed a way to sort of differentiate from what I did from what everyone else could do at home. And it was the time of Domino starting and all of um, everyone being their own designer. So having that physical presence Yeah, having really a physical important. presence really. Um, and it even helped me understand and give me a place to sort of showcase my style and, and um, my freedom. What yeah. do you think was, so you take this entrepreneurial leap mm-hmm. because you're trying to unload the attic. Yeah. I mean, that's your reason. <laughs> Literally. Um, <laughs> and, what, and support artists, which is where it then became. Okay, okay. Yeah. so there was, there was more. And yeah. and. I'm sure there was just said, I want to exercise this passion. I want to, this, yeah, this I, art form. Absolutely. And I think um, <clears throat> the business side was never 
really my strong suit. And I learned a few years in that I needed support, and I brought on a president, which really changed the game for me. And for anyone, it could be an assistant. It could be a president. It could be a partner. For me, it was a president who could deal with all the things that I wasn't, you know, I knew my strengths, and I knew it wasn't um, negotiating contracts. It wasn't running the business side. It wasn't um, new development. So allowing our president now, who is really up to our game now that we're doing more commercial, gave me the freedom to really focus on what I was good at, which was the creative. Otherwise, it was just too much. How many years before you could hire a president? Five. Okay, so just, yeah, I think context is important. Yeah. And it took me, I didn't even think about it. It was like, I was just growing and realizing I can't do all this well. Something's got to give. And so at five years, mm-hmm. I, I know you're president, and yes, she's, she's quite something. Mm-hmm. And um, probably... That's not easy for all of us to find somebody sure. like that to afford. Right. I'm just going to call it what it is. Assistant, yeah. Uh, anybody who you feel can kind of work with you or for you um, to help you out to see your vision. So, but it, where I was going mm-hmm. is, it's an it was an investment. It was a decision it, 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 of it, it, I'm yes. actually I may even be taking a step back financially, yeah. but I know that if we yeah. will get two steps forward Absolutely. by making this decision. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so, Jessica, you told us your story a, a little bit about where you started and then kind of transitioning. Mm-hmm. But you had a very specific thing happen, I think, with a woman that you, when you left the firm, she started another firm and you went with her. Um, yeah. And then that gave you an opportunity to start trying your hand at some... Weren't you developing, like, marketing yeah, materials yeah, and yeah, things yeah. like that? Okay. So, the I guess to expand on the transition from interiors to graphics. Um, I was working at this architecture firm on the west side. It was like an 85-person firm um, with many departments. So there was graphic design, landscape architecture, architecture, and interiors. So I was working in the interiors department. The recession happened, and 30% of the staff got laid off. Um, I somehow remained, but my boss, who was the head of the interiors department, decided she wanted to go back to having her own business, which she had before she merged with the architecture firm. Um, so she took myself and two other girls with her, so went from this large working environment to like a four-person office. And I'm sure everyone that works in a small office knows that you're wearing 15 hats, mm-hmm. usually. Um, so outside of doing uh, project management for the interior design projects we we're working on, I kind of, because I was pigeonholed as that computer girl, uh, started doing like marketing for her and laying out ads that she was putting into House Beautiful, Architectural Digest. Um, she also started a textile line, so I was helping her develop that and create and take photos and kind of just dabbling in a little bit of everything. Um, but like I said earlier, I think my heart really was in the behind the computer exploring creative suite and just knew deep down, even though I loved interior design, I really wanted to take this leap and transition out of that industry, I guess. I mean, it's so design is so hand-in-hand. Hand. It's like, what are you applying it to? Is it a room? Is it a website or brand identity or fashion? I feel like it goes so hand-in-hand hand, um, that I was just lending like the skills that I learned in interiors to graphics and um, Worked for her for about three, four years and decided to jump into working for a woman that had a pretty small graphic design studio and only spent six months there before I just had this overwhelming urge to take a leap. And I was getting enough freelance inquiries at the time that, again, very naively thought I could I could do freelance full-time. And um, yeah, so that was 
Why? What was naive about that? Because that sounds I mean, good to some I mean, having of us. no savings, not knowing how to put a contract together, didn't know what to bill. Um, even though I'd client interfaced at my previous jobs, I wasn't, you know, used to being the person running the business and just boundaries, communication. I mean, pretty much everything. It's been like a six-year learning curve. Um, and and I, trend, I started freelancing doing graphic design, but also had this photography skill, so I was shooting interiors, just dabbling in a lot of different things, and also still running this lifestyle blog that kind of gave me the platform to go freelance. Um, and yeah. that's, that's similar to what we were talking about with the author, that the platform, the blog, gave her the opportunity... I've been talking for three nights, sorry. <laughs> Gave her the opportunity to land all these accounts and these jobs. And consistently, they could see her work. Every blog post mm. was her showing a little bit of herself to them. It was a giant portfolio. So, again, the platform um, becomes really important. I have two friends here who are um, academics. And um, I've said, that's you guys. And I've said <laughs> to them, you know, I think they often think, like, well we kind of have this very straight and narrow path and you're complicating things by saying anything, anything to, um, to the contrary. But it's the same thing. They've developed a platform in their respective careers and that platform isn't always accessible to the layperson. So how can they convey the information and the knowledge that they have to, to people like us, like me, who don't read textbooks on whatever theological, whatever. So <clears throat> they can tell you later. Um, and so I think there, it's important to develop that platform. What is, what is that thing? Who, what is that voice and who wants to hear that voice? And then what do they want to buy now that I've got their attention? Um, it, you said something also earlier that we hit on the first night um, that we did this two, two nights ago. Uh, you talked about the loss of a job. And somebody in, in the audience said, it's so risky to be an entrepreneur. And somebody on the panel said, it's so risky to have a job. It's so risky to count on somebody else for your financial future. And there were lots of nods, like I can see some now, that you're, you're putting yourself in somebody's hands entirely. And your ability to expand, to contract, to uh, move the needle is you don't have as much control as you may think. So, sure, up front, you know, the 401K and the steady paycheck and the nice office and all those things, things you know, like an organized life, you're probably going to give that up. But you have some control. Even, even those of us, and I'll just speak for myself, I won't point fingers because I don't know everyone's situation, but when it takes a long time to get to that point where you're actually profitable, not making money. You can be making money from day one. You can be bringing revenue in from day one. But when you're actually profitable, it can take a long time. And you just have to sort of, I always say, pack for, the, pack for that kind of travel. If you know it's a 90-day trip, you'll pack 90 days worth of black clothing that you can roll up and use several times. And you have to be prepared for that. So sorry to go off, but I just wanted to say that because it, I thought it was a powerful thing that was said, even if you're launching something on the side or thinking of developing a platform on the side. I think it's something to consider. So Jillian, so we talked about how an author is, in fact, entrepreneurial. You went a very... Um, traditional route in that you had a, you know the fancy publisher um, and you were able to get that deal and that book was a New York Times bestseller 
Um, and it's very, it's not, I, I, I tease about the, the subject matter, but it's a great book. It's a great read. It's well written. And that didn't come from that being the first time you wrote something. So tell us a little bit about, for you, what it meant to develop that um, as an art form before you could actually turn it into a profitable business. Right. Um, so um, what I hear from Tamara and Jessica uh, and you is about, like, the time it takes to develop this. And, like, my husband likes to say I'm the, I'm the overnight sensation that took 10 years. Um, and I think that uh, I was always very reticent to write my first memoir, um, my first slutty memoir, because... <laughs> Uh, I knew that that would pigeonhole me, and I also knew that I was a serious writer, um, and that you know that that I was a, a person of depth and substance, and that uh, you know I I was in conflict with that a lot, and um, it was only when very organically this story started just like knocking on the door of my consciousness, and I realized that, like, this was a story I had to tell, that I really did write it. You know, like, I urge people to come at it from that perspective. Like, the the platform and the social media and all that stuff and, and is super important, and I put a lot of work into that. I really do, and it has helped my career a lot. And also, it's a very enjoyable way for me to connect with my readers and with, I mean, particularly, like, um, you know, there is this salacious first memoir. My second memoir is about my kids who are both adopted and both have special needs. And, um, and that is a whole online community that I feel really moved to be connected with um, and my platform, which get like feels kind of like a dirty word in some ways, you know. I'm like platform and branding and all this stuff, like seems so disconnected. Except, really, for me, that's just about to express who I am and to connect with people. I was gonna say, I mean, I understand why you're saying that about the word platform and brand, but just use the word um, voice. Yeah. If it, once you develop that voice and that audience who cares about that voice develops a relationship with you, you're doing the same thing. It's the same thing as developing the platform. So take away that word, and all of a sudden it becomes more intimate, and all of a sudden it becomes um, a, a little bit um, more grounded in kind of who you are, and less about kind of what what what's the market want. Right. Um, and maybe like for some. For some careers or some careers, that's more relevant. And like writing and design, and like I think that that's more relevant. And maybe if you're, you know, developing an app or you're, you know, that they that the intimacy may not be as relevant. It depends on the person too. It's not, Mm -hmm. and because I hear it a lot as a consultant, I hear I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to feel salesy. I, I hear that constantly, and. It's, there's a difference between 
pitching yourself constantly, especially when you don't believe it, and actually feeling like, no, I have something to say. Like, it's like somebody's hungry and you have an apple. You want to give them that apple. You're not going to withhold that apple because because it's not appropriate for you to engage them. So it's finding, it's finding that, finding your tribe, finding the people that want the apple. Um, and I think it's just the way you go after that. And I know that's been something for you. Yeah, I think also your voice can change or your platform can change. I did residential for my first eight years, and I loved residential. But I started to get to the point where I wanted to be a little more uncomfortable. It was getting a little complacent, not complacent, but I was ready for a challenge. And... I love traveling. My husband and I love eating out restaurants and exploring. And I said, I think I want to do commercial. I had no background in it, but I made that leap um, and had to be fearless, which was terrifying because I didn't have the skill set. And I had to invest in it, so go from actually making money to not making money, to bring in my tribe that could I could work with to take to that next level. And now I'm doing... It's very different. I'm doing ground-up projects and restaurants and hotels that aren't that... I'm now pitching to 20 businessmen in a conference room as opposed to sitting in the kitchen with a residential client. It's very different and was very intimidating. But at the same time, I was ready for that change and ready for that challenge. And, um, you know, I'm, we're still going through it. It's different, too, as you grow with whatever your platform is. But um, for me, now that we're 12 people as opposed to three, I have to let go. And that's a hard thing. I think with any industry, it's okay. If you're at this level, if you're doing all this, you can't be at this level. You really have to be the creative director and, and understand everything, but only to a degree and trust your team. And that, I'm still working on that. That's a challenge. It, it is hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jessica, we talked about that a little yeah. bit. We talked about how you have been working basically as a solopreneur mm -hmm. and kind of pushing out mm -hmm. your content and you're ready to kind of expand that and yeah. the hesitancy, but also I mean, it's such a con I think most creatives are incredibly controlling totally. and I mean, it, <laughs> it benefits you in a lot of ways because you kind of have to be OCD and organized mm -hmm. and care about every detail of everything that you're putting out and what you're doing for clients. You want people pleasing, all this kind of stuff. That, yeah, it took a long time for me to understand that actually letting go is the only way you can grow. And it's only been, frankly, this year um, of putting that into practice and relinquishing control and understanding that if I'm, you know, playing more of an art direction mm -hmm. role, it doesn't mean my vision can't be seen out with the help of other people. And, um, yeah, it's taken time, but even just, you know, a few months of doing it, it's the results are so rewarding and relieving and it's just feels like a huge weight off your back. And personally, I, I'm definitely an introvert and enjoy working at home by myself, but feeling like, like I always had this overwhelming feeling of like, I'm the only one who is going to get all this done and there's nobody to help me. And, um, that can be a really paralyzing feeling. And once you kind of let go and start you know, bringing people in and trusting them. And, um, yeah, it just feels nice to be, to feel like you have help and people to fall back on and everybody's supporting like an end goal and yeah. working towards, 
towards something together. And, and it's trial and error, right? You, yeah, you big don't time. figure it out right away. It's yeah, absolutely. and I would just say, I don't even know if it's just creatives. I think anybody who's mm-hmm. developed something, who is an entrepreneur, who really owned an idea and is pushing it out there, is, is controlling of that because it's their baby. I mean, who calls a mother who really loves her child controlling? Like, <laughs> she's doing her job. Um, so it starts to feel a little bit like that. Um, I want to say something. There's actually somebody, I don't, I don't see her right now, but who's here today, who asked a question on our uh, live podcast question, um, Q&A. And the question was very similar to what you two were talking about. It was, she is a creative, and she said, how do I expand and bring other people in, but don't diminish, and I this was an mm-hmm. issue for you, don't diminish kind of that quality control and that aesthetic. And the answer I gave, and I want to hear from the three of you, um, is basically you have to set up systems. If you think of like a Starbucks, somehow that little coffee shop in Seattle figured out a way to develop a system so that every time somebody orders a cup of coffee, the same thing gets pushed out. So that meant somebody sat there measuring exactly how many, you know, how much coffee needed to go in the little glass and get pressed and then how much steamed water needed to go through the whatever. And literally with a manual, writing a book. And this book was going to go out to, let's say they opened the first 10 stores. I don't really know the story, but let's just say we can imagine that would be the case. That book had to go to all 10 of those stores and somebody had to train all of those people. You have to be willing to put in the time to develop the systems so that you can have the quality control and maintain the vision of the founder. And that's a very hard thing to do, especially when you're doing something that is, it requires your brain, it requires your mind, and it's forcing you, there you are, and it's forcing you to put that question uh, or, or to put that system into place. So... You've had to do that because you brought on a team. It's, and for me, it's also setting boundaries, especially for clients that I've had in the past when I was more hands-on, for them understanding that it's a different, our, our office works in a different way now. So it's sort of, like you said, the infrastructure and how is your team made up when I'm, when I'm putting a proposal together. It's, this is the way we're going to work. I'll be there at, you know, meetings, but I'm not going to be the main point of contact. And you just have to set those boundaries early on so there aren't expectations. With the client. With the client. How about internally? How did you, was it sort of a... We're really collaborative. And as our company is growing, I'm I'm very much, I want you guys to tell me how we can make this better. Let's work together. I'm looking to you. A lot of the, um, it seems to be all women that I've hired. It didn't wasn't intentional, but we're a team of 12 we're women. Just better. Sorry. We had one guy and it's two guys back out. there. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to grow this team so they feel... Like, they can take ownership for their projects. And I think a lot of them have come from bigger firms, like Gensler and architecture firms, where they were just used to being in one place doing one thing. So they were like, I don't know how to go about negotiating what this should be or how to understand how to do site visits. I had one job. It was CAD. And, you know, there's different parts of that with the design world where I think people are used to be compartmentalized, and I'm trying to create a team where we're collaborating together to create something bigger. But what about on the, that, that creative thing, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the real question? Yeah. You wouldn't ever let a, des- a junior designer mm-hmm. send something to a client without no, you looking at it. No, but I want to it. hear her mind so okay. she can show me something and then okay. we can say, great, let's run with that, but please do tell me what you're okay. thinking. Because otherwise, she's not going to grow as an artist, as a designer. Um, and again, I'm small enough that I can hear everyone's voices and otherwise I feel like 
nobody's learning, and I want I want to learn from these people, okay. um, and that's why I'm. You know, we all need to sort of bring each other up, and and when we win a job or when something great happens, we like we just designed a restaurant in downtown LA. Let's all go to dinner there. Mm-hmm. We've done a hotel. Let's all go stay at the hotel and really reward. Can you name it, it drop ex- a little bit? Some of the places oh, that you, OTM I mean, yeah, in LA, and we're doing a, a lot of ground up. Um, Mixed it's next projects. to the Broad Museum. Yeah, it's part of the Broad. It's hers. She did yeah. that. Eli Broad was one of my bosses. Yeah. So that was very much a collaboration. And again, being sort of new to restaurant and hotel and ground up design, I really had to understand and ask a lot of questions. It was like going to school myself. Um, and um, I think another thing for me as a designer, and I, in your world is probably similar. I'm looking to do projects that are interesting, like in the Arts District and, and West Adams were doing a project, really trying to be a part of the DNA for a neighborhood and, and tell my story, like you were saying. It's about telling a story and doing something different and engaging the community and the client, and um, that's what I love about doing commercial, I think, is is really you know, these areas in L.A. that are being gentrified, being a part of that, being a part of history and, and trying to make, a, make our mark um, and do something unique. That's so it's, it's fun. It's no small feat. Yeah, I love but it. it's, you know, it's good. So what does that mean for you as you've started to let people into this team? How have you developed a system or some protocol or have you? Are you in the middle of figuring yeah, that out? I'd say still um, in the middle of figuring it out, but I'm pretty OCD, so I have systems for a lot um, that I've developed over the years of templates and even with emails, like, is this an ideal client? Is this somebody I need more information mm-hmm. from? So just, like, automating things and plugging them in so then when somebody comes on board that's helping with a project, it's like, I know, it, with brand identity specifically, I know the exact steps from the point that the client potential client is emailing to the point of delivering the final product. And that took some time, but this having that confidence to, you know, I really know what I'm doing and delivering and um, being able to relay that to somebody else. So I would completely agree that systems, putting systems in place is the only way to start automating and bringing people on and having them come in and explain this is how the process works. And um, yeah, usually after like one project, they're already kind of accustomed to the way that I'm sure. running mm-hmm. it. And yeah, systems They, they are... made that mistake once. And then, <laughs> and then they were gone. Yeah, exactly. So... A little bit different for you, but I also want to talk about, as a writer, if you don't have a system, literally blocking your day, finding time to find that creative voice, time to edit, time to... There is also a system that you have to put in place, and then for your team, it could be your your friends and your co-op that you write, that are also writers, like... How do you identify who should read your work and give right. you feedback? Like, what is that for the writer? So, a couple of different pieces here. And, like, one is about, you know, the fact that I'm my own boss, right? And so, like my husband likes to say, the fact that you're your own boss means you never get a day off, you know? And, and like, finding a kind of very specific rhythm, especially when... You're a creative person, and for me, all this was learned. Like, the discipline of writing was learned. The discipline of, you know, the business of it was learned, and also how to create, have have the creative piece and have the business piece, and have both of those things happen at the same time and not 
like eat each other alive, right? Because I have this social media platform, I have all this stuff, but also like I have to have this creative time in my day. Like I'm, I'm, I'm writing stuff from my heart, and I need to have a time in my day that I can go deep, and that I'm not on Facebook, and I'm not like how to sell myself, and I'm not like what's my brand. You know, like, I need a time that's like, what do I want to say? Like, why am I here? And how do I create meaning in my life and the world, right? And also, I have kids to feed. And also, I have ambitions. And you know what I mean? So it's this, like, constant tension and dialogue. And I have found... um, like that as a writer, it's more important for me to have an interface. Like I found a fantastic manager. And yes, like that's a dialogue because then it's like, it's 10%, it's 15%. It's, you know, and like, and it's my nanny gets this percent and the valet who just parked my car, whatever building gets this. I'm like, who doesn't get a percent at this point, except that I do need that. And like, I have to make intelligent decisions about that and figure out how to mitigate that. And um, so and that has been, that's been the growth for me. And that it's came like years the, later, is, though. It's growing the interface. All those percents came years later, I just want to say. For they anybody did. Who's starting like out. like 10 years yeah. later, like yeah. 12 years later, really. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's yeah. important. Okay. Yeah. Is there a practice in, when you're talking about creating space for the creative? Absolutely. So what's that? Give us There is a practice, and that practice shifts with the demands of my life. I wake up at 4 in the morning. Because I am like, because I am unwilling to give it up, you know. Because the, these demands of my life and these demands of, you know, of my family and my children are just what they are right now, and I will not stop writing. Because I think that the world will make you stop. You know, and like what is if that you quote let you, them, you gave a quote in the um, don't have a fall. But what was that quote? Oh, right. Like if I, you know, it was David Mamet. Okay, it okay. wasn't me. That's OK. Well, you, you can take <laughs> if that you out. have a plan B, you'll take it. Yeah. And that's true. And I really don't. And it's mostly because I have no skills. Um, <laughs> and this is like all I've got. And I really do, like, I feel that in a very urgent way. So right now, I wake up at four in the morning, and I make a cup of tea, and I write for a couple of hours until I have to start getting the world ready for my children to come up and to wake up and take the world over. <laughs> but that's but, a that's a reality. I think that that yeah. reality is most of our reality. Whatever your situation is of having to really create that space in that room for the thing that you love. Maybe it's cuz you have a full-time job and you're trying to create this thing. Maybe it's not kids. I mean, who knows who knows what it right. is. So, I mean, it's it's something for everyone. Like I, I also teach writing, you know, and everyone, kids or not, have something that's the reason that they can't do the thing that they dream of doing. Yep. 
And I'm just like, how bad do you want it? How badly? Because, like, anyone who wants something so badly will, like, make the space for it because the world's not going to give you the space for it. No, I, and I think there are a lot of people who actually sort of, if they build it, they will come, if you build it, they will come mentality. Like, I don't know what, why we are wired that way, but you do sort of have to go and get it. Um, I'm feeling very lazy right now. Sorry. No. <laughs> so, no, but I, th- I mean, get up at four o'clock. My kids are old enough to get themselves ready for school. But but yeah. you have to get in front of you had to decide I'm going to stop doing residential full time. Sure. And I have to I, I nobody's going to come to me because no, I'm commercial. That's true. That's true. You I'm had to level. develop yeah. that yeah. and say, I want to be this. So I'm going to pretend right. I'm this yes. until I am yes. this. And now you, I'm that. You ha- yeah. yeah. There wasn't a there was no restaurant that came knocking on that door. No. Right. Well, like, like I think the commonality is like the leap of believing in yourself, right. like whether or not you have to get up at some insane I'm not sure hour of the morning. I just did it and I had a drive, I think, and a passion. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I yeah. think that there's that that's mm-hmm. an important distinction yeah. actually because a lot of times we don't believe in ourselves, we we're not actually sure that we're the ones that should do it or we're the ones that have the capacity mm-hmm. or the capabilities or the finances or whatever it it may be. We just need to do it. We just need to start. And usually, um, if you if you don't let the 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 good enough, um, if you let the good enough be okay. If you let that be okay, it will inform your next steps. You'll just be able to keep moving. I had a situation several years ago of actually a guy that I was um, consulting, and he didn't make um, a business card because he wasn't sure what the tagline should be. And his company was a a video company. And um, he was creating videos for... uh, Families, this was, this was some years ago, for families to um, recreate and do kind of a collage, is that, I'm not sure that's the word, but of their child's birthday. And then he would sell it to the parents for like $400 or whatever. And um, in not making the, the business card, um, after six months, he's like, I can't make any money doing this. I'm going to do commercial work. And uh, it took a long time for me to just say, just start doing it. Just go out and start doing X, Y, Z. And he ended up saying, I'm so glad I didn't wait because I'm not even doing that business that I was like sitting around waiting to figure out what's the tagline, what's the business plan, who am I marketing to? He just started to move and realized he actually doesn't even want to be in that space anymore. So sometimes you do just need to, to begin. Yeah, you okay. do. I mean, and one, just to speak to yeah. that point, um, early on, I just took any job. Well, fine, I'll take it to just kitchen bath to it. Now we interview our clients. Now it's sort of the other spectrum. Well, we'll interview them. We'll check references because... Yeah, to, because there are clients that for commercial for, for commercial, uh, okay, but not residential. Like, who do you call for <laughs> residential psychologist? Oh, wow. um, well, you want to make sure that they're the right client. It has yeah. to be a good fit okay. for both. I, I think commercial, especially, making sure that um, they're a good fit and they big commercial companies pay their bills and there's many many sure. things. But even for residential, not about the finances, but just making sure that you're a good fit. That at you because you're going to spend a lot of time together, whatever business it is. But you got to like each other, and you have to understand each other. In the beginning, I might not have really that not have been my style. What, I, but I would still do it 
But now, you know, I've gotten to the point where I am more confident and I know what I want and I know, but you have to just do it anyway. And sure. I think when you're starting. And Jessica, you, we've talked about this actually, yeah. that there are some clients that just, you just say no to. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not, I don't have anything to say to that right. job that you might want to hire me for. Yeah. I think over time, your ideal client starts to show itself, whether mm-hmm. you are getting clearer on, yeah. okay, every time I work with people like this or brands like this, it seems like a really natural fit. And for me, that's kind of shown itself over the years. I used to, like you were saying, take on every client and just, um, you know, trying to make ends meet financially. And yeah, they're not always success because you didn't listen to your gut or it's just not a match. I mean, I work mostly with women, 100%. And sometimes when I'm, I feel like I have like different red flags and sometimes when men contact me, I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but um, I do have a male client right now. It's going fine. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, it's like I've, it's women, it's lifestyle brands, it's um, people that approach their businesses very holistically and um, it's always like a personality match too, because you're working so closely with them. It's like a very, very personal, um, journey and you end up mm-hmm. forming a friendship with them yeah. after, you know, so many months. And yeah, I think also getting clear on who your ideal client is, the earlier you can do that, the better off you're going to be. Cause I think we sort of think it's an advantage to do everything and speak to everyone and, um, the more I, I started off doing so many things from blogging to styling, to photography, to, uh, graphic design, web, print, branding, like everything under the sun. I was like, yeah, I'll take that job. Yeah, I'll take that job. And it just not only burnt me out extremely, but, um, yeah, I find that you get better clients and just feel like you're growing towards one direction when you really narrow in, um, the audience you're speaking to and, and also what you enjoy the most. Cause I think it's okay to take services out that, you know, and, being more inward about what do I actually enjoy versus what are the external expectations of what I should be doing to be better at it. Exactly. Like, Oh, this is what a graphic designer offers. So this is what I have to offer. Whereas maybe you only enjoy one of those things and it's okay to just own that and, and really hone it. You may not know that for the first few years. That, that, Mm -hmm. that may take time. I always, it's a very general rule. It doesn't apply to everybody, but I often say to clients, the first three years are yeses. And in year four, you can start to say no. You can start to really distinguish the jobs you want to take from the jobs you don't want to take, uh, who you are in, t- in terms of you being a brand and how you want to continue to work with other brands. Um, but you need to be willing to say yes for a certain amount of time, for a season. Um, did you? I, I, yeah. I, I just totally agree with that. I was just listening to what you were saying and thinking... You know, that in order to get to that point where you know, like, who your ideal client is, like, you have to have all the non-ideal clients. And I feel like I have a lot of people who come to me who, like, are putting the carrot before the horse, you know, and are like, hey, I have an idea for a book. How do I get an agent? Mm. Or, you know, I want to blog, but I don't want to write for free. And I'm like, okay, well... First of all, you need to actually write the story before you get an agent. And also, like, I wrote for free for so long. I mean, and I still might now if it was something I really cared about. 
and I felt was like, like I might write something I really care about and put it on the Huffington Post, you know, and and that's going to have a certain ripple effect and potentially sell my books. Like I have a product that's not a blog that you're going to get $150 for. Like that's, it's, it's just not like an A plus B equals C kind of economy, you know? So I'm like, say yes to everything. Yes, well, yes, and yes, even yes. though you're in the point, you're at the point where you can say no. Well, you're now selecting. I say no almost always. Yeah, but and yeah. when you when you say yes to something that's free, there's a there's another benefit. There's right, a, it's something that's it's meaningful. Achieving but a like, I've like worked toward that for yeah. a long time, and I would say, you know, that also like someone asks you to do something you don't want to do, and you're at an early stage of your career, and you say yes. You know, it might, like, inform your work or expand it in some way that you never expected. Sometimes we think we know, like, what is the best trajectory for us, and then the world throws other things at us when we say yes. Thank you for that segue. If you guys could quickly tell us what has been kind of the the hardest part of this entrepreneurial endeavor and then what's been the sort of found joy the the surprise i think i already talked to the hardest part for me um remind us oh <laughs> growing and letting go okay. would okay. be the biggest thing and then being uncomfortable but shifting gears and something that i didn't feel qualified to do and just going for it um but that's also the reward i mean for me now with creating um hospitality projects especially, it's seeing, telling the story and then seeing people experience it, Um, which is, it's, you know, especially for commercial design, even for residential, it's like you can pick pretty fixtures and tables and chairs, but really it's about that experience of how it all comes together with the music and the uniforms and the food and the service. So for me to actually experience that is, is a great joy. Yeah. And to have my kids be a part of it. And I think, you know, especially both my husband and I are entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, for them to see us working for ourselves and working really hard and being a part of that. My daughter goes to school up the street from where I work and her coming down with her friends and she thinks it's cool. And I think that's great. Um, And then having the flexibility to say, okay, we're going to go on vacation or we're going to leave early today. And I think that's, again, one of the joys um, to to sort of lead yourself and your team and... um, yeah. And much more likely to be their reality at some sure. point. Yeah. I mean, Probably. who knows exactly when. So, Jessica, how about you? Um, I think the hardest thing, which I was talking a little bit with Sarah earlier, is just this overwhelming um, pressure of constant hustle as a freelancer, as an entrepreneur, of just nonstop go, 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 go. And I can't say enough how unsustainable that is. And I think there needs to be more of a voice behind self-care and Mm -hmm. the idea that you don't have to kill yourself in order to be successful. And it's taken me a long time to come to this realization, but sometimes it feels like, especially as women, you can't do it all and be it all. And you have to choose between running a business and being a good partner and being a mother and so many things. And I think the more time you can actually step away from your work and have more life experiences, the more the better your work will be. And I'm saying that to myself as I'm saying it to you. Um, but just, yeah, more of a dialogue around not having to... 
it's just like permeates the online creative world specifically of like hustle, 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 go, go, go. What are you working on right now? What are you doing? And you feel the need to constantly be going. And I think it's even more important to be slowing down and reevaluating if we're working for ourselves, why does it feel like it's more work? It is more work than working for someone else, but um, you should be able to enjoy the benefits of that too. And whether it's taking off a day in the middle of the week or um, not working 40 hours and just, yeah, creating more flexibility. I feel like this has been the hardest thing for sure for me um, over the last six years is just setting boundaries and, and not being a slave to my work and not feeling guilty when I'm not working because everyone else is working and all that kind of stuff. So on the flip side, <laughs> um, it's wildly rewarding when you kind of look back of where you started and, you know, having done so much free work and just been grinding away at something because you love it so much and kind of stopping and acknowledging, well, I've really come quite far with this and, um, yeah, taking more moments to kind of celebrate those, those realizations. And you kind of have to find your tribe to celebrate with because yeah. sometimes you're just alone. And you're like, Great, I did that. And it's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there. Does it make a sound? Um, Jillian. I think your jobs sound really sexy. <laughs> I would like those jobs. Um, you know, I, I think that um, my writer friends and I always say, like, you know, there's no end to the humiliations <laughs> that we suffer. And I think that that's true of all creatives, you know. It's really hard, except that I am doing exactly what I dreamed of doing. The office I'm in is like, you know, all of these crazy powerhouse super intellectual, amazing women who, I mean, you know, maybe five years ago, I only could have dreamed of being in the room with. And now we're like, hey, do you know an editor at Vogue? I could, you know, and it's like these connections and this life, you know, it's it's definitely not easy, but it is really... Um, a dream come true. That's awesome. You're like my segue master. So <laughs> last question from me, and then we'll take a few from the audience. So um, I named this company Liberty because the hope is that we could liberate women through entrepreneurship. That when you pursue your calling and you feel like you're doing the thing you were meant to do in this world, that you would feel free in some way. Um, and so I always ask at the end of the podcast, what does it mean to you to oh, be liberated? I should have known that. I didn't know. Um, <laughs> To be liberated. Um, I think it's just everything we've talked about. I mean, I'm an only child and a control freak, and I love to have the freedom to really come and go, work on what I want, when I can. Obviously, it's a bigger process than that, but I think it's just not ha having that flexibility and really having the freedom to be with my family when I want to be with my family and not be told where I need to be at any given time, other than by a client or, you know, a parent-teacher conference or something, but generally just feeling like I'm in control of my destiny and my designs um, and, you know, where, where I'm going to go. And I'm not sure where that is, but I think mm -hmm. it'll be my choice, my, you know? So I think, yeah. Yeah. I, like yeah, I would piggyback on that and say pretty much same thing of, 
even though it doesn't always feel like you have the choice working for yourself when you really, I mean, you do and you have, you don't have to take on every client. You can choose who to work with and choose how to spend your day and the world's not going to explode if you don't answer emails and all that kind of stuff. So just, yeah. And then, and the power to like shape your business and what you want it to look like. And that can change over the years. It doesn't have to be, you know, I made this decision 10 years ago and I have to stick with it. And, um, yeah, just liberated through flexibility, I think of not feeling pigeonholed to one thing or one style of working and being able we don't to have evolve. a lot of control in the world is the world is pretty messed up right now, I think. So right. it's <clears throat> nice to have a little of our own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think that like to me to be liberated, like I can't always control exactly, you know, the external factors in my life, but as a creative and as someone who demands that I get a certain amount of hours in my day that I get to carve out for my creative life, like I always have a space to be liberated in my imagination. I love that. And Julian gave that answer um, when we sat down together. And it reminded me of every story you've heard of somebody in wartime or in jk rowling yeah just in the worst of circumstances and you ask them what gave them the fortitude to hang in there and it's often that in their mind they were free in their mind they weren't in any kind of captivity and i think that's really important as we um in our own special way sort of liberate women Um, so thank you for that answer so this cord will not go very far so if you have a question come to me who has a question Um, it's been really great so far thanks I'm a a jewelry designer and so I have like you know products that get out and my business has been doing well for the past seven years but I'm like ready to take like ownership I've just been like putting out products and they've just been going and so I want to try a new direction and I, I get you have to just go for it and trust your gut. But I'm like, what if I mess up? Have you been like at a place where you like thought you wanted to go one way and then it was like, oh, wait, maybe not. You had to pull back or change course, something like that. And what'd you do? Yeah, I feel we'll like mess up constantly. You, I mean, yeah. Um, I feel like I'm in this position right now of like my gut is saying, oh, I, I really want to narrow my services to just this one specific thing. But you battle with the expectations of what you think people are going to think and all these things, but it's, it's really hard. I think it's, yeah, taking a leap of faith. And also if it's your like core is drawing you so intensely towards something, I think you have to honor that and listen Mm -hmm. to it. And even if it's hard at first, I I say this with everything pretty much, it's going to be difficult at first and then months, whatever years down the line, it'll prove so worth it and take you in a completely new direction that, you know, would have never come to be if you hadn't taken that chance. You'd regret not doing it. Exactly. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. And also like, are you afraid of your, like disappointing yourself or other people? Yeah. I've seen some friends take their businesses in complete 180 and it has flourished in such beautiful ways that I'm like, yeah. And, and what they're giving to their audience now versus what it was before where it wasn't necessarily aligned a hundred percent. It's like night and day and 
it's kind of awesome to see. But it's, yeah, sometimes just got to <laughs> Well, take and it. I think we, uh, for the entrepreneurial answer is often the gut. People will say, I just felt it in my gut, or my gut just said. And I think you start to see a through line where there's actually other things that have informed that gut. That gut is being informed by an experience. And you might not be aware of it. You might not be conscious of what that is. And so listen to it because it's sort of the place where it's holding all those answers. Um, And I actually, I would say more often than not, both in doing interviews, in talking to clients. I can't think, I cannot think of one single person who said, I really, I went with my gut and I regretted it and I made a huge mistake. <laughs> it's, it's often I went with my gut and it, it may not have been the end. It may have been a stop along the path, but it got me to the end. So I would say... It's not a mamsy-pamsy, like, oh, I'm feeling like this. It's not with the wind. It's something that's kind of brewing inside, and it is being informed by real things and circumstances. So listen to it. I had such a new idea. It took two years just to figure out what I should call myself. So I'm at the beginning. I call myself a fun broker because I'm kind of brokering a deal between two businesses to collaborate so they could both get their needs met. So, for example, this is very new for me, too. Um, I have a co-work space, and they need more people to come rent from them. So I said, why don't you have the yoga studio? I could put together an event, have the yoga studio come in, teach um, a sunset yoga class on your rooftop. Then you get people walking through and figuring out where you're at. But I have to come up with a proposal. I've never done that. Before my background is journalism, I wrote for newspapers, so a lot I enjoy the writing part. Um, but I don't, I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know how to quantify my service. So maybe you guys could help me with some ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have one person, maybe. I think that's where you need to help. You need to find that person to help you. I mean, if you've never done it, you have to do the research. Um, find a consultant or go online. I mean, I, I didn't know how to do those things. I figured it out along the way. I asked a lot of questions. If there are people that you know, ask people out to lunch. Just ask, ask, ask. I'm, I like to listen more than talk generally. And at many times, I think one good bit of advice I was given way back is, you know, when you're going into design, like, I'm going to have lunch with Kelly Worcester. I'm going to ask her a lot of questions. You find someone who's doing what you want to do or you're doing, and just take them out. You'd be surprised. People like to talk about themselves. <laughs> People will tell you lots of things. I've called other interior design firms and just said, hi, I'm a fan. We're thinking about doing this type of project. What are your thoughts? And I learn more from asking, um, and I think that goes for you know whether you're in real estate. What, whatever your world is, just take whoever is your mentor or an equal and just invite them up for a coffee and ask them how they did it. Yeah. You can also, let me just add to that, find out what the value is to the person who wants the business. Right. So if they need to get rid of that space because it's just, I mean, it's inventory that isn't sold, that square footage. What is that worth to them, mm-hmm. you know, and start to value it that way. Um, and it will change. And also be willing to um, put out a price and negotiate in the beginning. It would be, it'd be okay with that. It's sometimes I think we feel like, oh, that diminishes our value. Separate those two things. you got to pull your ego out of it. And it's hard. 
It's hard. So we live in Los Angeles, and hi. Um, how do you deal with the competition of female entrepreneurs? There are a lot more of us nowadays, and because we're in L.A., it's hard because of Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media platform there is. How do you make sure that you stay true to you and authentic to yourself and your brand? Last week was LCDQ, and there was a, two days of all of L.A. and actually a lot of designers from most of the U.S. came in. And I think I look at it more like there's support and collaborations, not my competition. And I, there's a really great design community. And we went, I went to Cuba with a lot of designers, and we became friends. And I think if you can look at it less as your competition but as your support, and there are times when there's a job that's not right for me, and I can pass it on to someone else. And I think if... Because, again, all of our industries are quite small, and you need to not be defensive, and I think, and more embrace it and, and find your thing that sets you apart, but also not look at them as if you know, they're, you're up for the same job. There's so many clients. There's so many projects. Um, yeah. Thank um, you. I, I always like to say when I, you know, with my writing students that, like, there's room for all of our books on yeah. the shelf. And I think in a lot of ways it's about perspective mm -hmm. because there's always that, right? It's not even just like now in L.A. It's like from the beginning of time there was, right. you know, competition and that person who's doing better than you and that person who's doing worse than you. And, and I think you just, like, you move forward in the best way you can. And I think that, that, that our really, like, our worst enemy is our self-doubt. Right. You know, is not that person who we're in competition with, right? It's the part of our mind that's saying, like, I'm not good enough, they're better than me. And you just go, like, thank you very much for that input, and that's not useful to me <laughs> for the next hour that I have to sit here and actually just do the work that's in front of me. And I'll revisit you later, I'm very sure. That's a great answer. I'm going to take a few more questions. We'll work really quickly if you guys could just answer, if one of you could answer. Okay, so I have um, two quick questions. So the first one is... Can you ask one? Yes, okay, I'll ask more pertinent ones. So I'm, I'm opening a small home and garden shop in Pasadena. And it was actually supposed to be a grocer. Which is called what and where it is? It's um, called Bloom Home and Garden. It's at the corner of Washington and Hill. Um, and so um, it's actually supposed to be a grocer. And that's what I plan to do. I had a permit issue, yada, yada, yada. I have the space. I have to pay my rent. So I'm doing this other thing. And I went to interior design school. I've been sitting in the store for like six weeks. And everyone's like, when are you opening? And I always say, in a couple weeks. And at what point? Do I open the doors? Like, I, I mean, I know tomorrow, <laughs> <laughs> right now. Like, I just mean like when you're when you're trying to like literally open the doors, whether it's like send your script somewhere or whatever it is. Like, at what point? When you're I don't like, think you're ever going to be ready. Yeah, you you're never it. ready. No, I was you're going to say what Netta was open saying. Open the doors. People will come. You just just like go and figure it out. Just like open the doors. Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to drive by. <laughs> we'll all be there. <laughs> I, I was saying plans. early June, so... <laughs> no, you, you need to. 
and do and it. some of that is and it's you, the perfect timing. It's summers. You just you may it. not be ready. What you think is ready, we don't know. We don't know what your ready is. And as long as we're having a, a good experience of whatever it is, so if you have one thing that you can offer us, and we can have a good experience, we'll come back. So make sure we're having a good experience, even if it's that one thing. This is a good yeah. way to get your business out there too. You should go to a lot of these and just say, I yeah. asked that question." <laughs> <laughs> Call it a soft opening if it makes you feel better. There you go. Yeah. Good answer. Hi. Thank you for um, all the wisdom and experience that you shared with us tonight. I'm just wondering if there is, if any, um, a resource or book or philosophy that influenced your business part of your um, career in keeping focused, moving forward, growing, et cetera, et cetera. Not so much uh, the creative process. Anyone? Not, not for me. Okay. What was the question? <laughs> a book. So actually, Sarah, are you holding that? Sorry. Are you holding that book? I saw you have it earlier. You, this was a recommendation. Um, Sarah was on a panel so last good. night. And she recommended that. I, I would say any Seth Godin really book, get your yeah, hand Yeah, I would on. also say yeah. um, Big Magic by yeah. um, Elizabeth Gilbert is an amazing, amazing one. Um, I would say The Tools. Do you guys know The Tools by Barry Michaels and Phil Stoltz? Which, uh, you know, I think, I mean, like both of us just gave answers that are not necessarily like completely business oriented. Like, I don't think you can necessarily draw that distinction like here's creativity and here is business like really there's all like all of this area in between and if it's going to get interesting like those two things are married you know so I would say the tools that's yeah. awesome okay we have time yeah one, one last question okay hi um so I'm in law school right now and I one day see the opportunity and would love to advise and help these entrepreneurs and especially just being a woman and like wanting to help people step forward and move into that space. But from a legal mindset, like what are maybe like the first few big things like the humdingers that you're like, okay, I need advice on this. Like maybe it's writing up a contract or something like that. I was going to say contracts. Contracts. Okay. For sure. Contracts. (laughs) Yeah. And to the gal who was chatting earlier, uh, contracts, the, the, the thing I get asked the most as a consultant is partnership contracts. And I feel like I've been a divorce attorney, and I'm not an attorney for many. <laughs> for many, no, it's not fun <laughs> for many uh, brands. So I think that's, that's a good one. And I actually know, I'll talk to you later, but I actually know somebody who does exactly what you want to do. She's in New York. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. We would love for you guys to do three things. We'd love for you to take a picture and push it out on social media, say you were here. We'd love for you to use the hashtag um, LibertyForHerd, and then go to LibertyForHer.com and check out what we're doing, and email us. Tell us what you want more of. We want to create tools and resources for you guys. Thanks so much. Good night. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. 
Liberty is spelled L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. And just remember, there is life after the top knot, as evidenced here. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 